Hello and welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, our feature presentation. Today, I'm speaking with hair designer Gail Ryan. Gail is responsible for all those wonderfully creative hairstyles in the film, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Her work, along with Rick Baker's, won them the Oscar. Gail chats about coming up in the industry at a time when studios had apprenticeship programs and how valuable that training was, how much fun it was to work on variety shows, and how she found herself working on the Donnie and Marie show. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Gail. Thank you. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Gail, and when she grew up, she wanted to be... A bookkeeper. You did? So, (laughs) numbers, like bookkeeper? Yes, I love numbers. That's very interesting. So, how (laughs) does does being a bookkeeper then turn into being a a hairstylist? How do we we make that transition? Well, I was in high school, and... Mm -hmm. I had never had any interest in hair at all, but my best girlfriend had always wanted to be a hairdresser, and she graduated a half a year ahead of me. And the first day that she went to beauty school, she didn't want to go alone, and she asked me to go. So I said, okay, that sounds like fun. It was during the summer. I had nothing else to do. So I thought, okay, I'll go Mm. with you. And during that first day, the teacher, uh, her name was Jean Page, uh, high-pressured me into starting. (laughs) <laughs> and told my mom I was going to go to beauty school. And my mom said, what do you mean? You've never combed your doll's hair or anything. And I said, I know, but I want to go. Said, okay. So I'm curious as to what kind of pressure this teacher put on you. What was what was her? Yeah, I would just have to know. What, what, how did this how I, did it happen? I don't remember exactly. I just know she said, you know, this is such a great career. And, and, you know, your friend is here and you should go to beauty school. Do you have anything else in mind at that time? No, not really. Well, I think you should give it a try, as I kind of remember the conversation. So I did. I went to beauty school and really wasn't very interested in it because it was not something of my dreams. And one day, Mrs. Page came up to me and she said, Gail, I'm going to make a hairdresser out of you if it's the last thing I ever do. (laughs) And she did. Isn't that funny? Gosh, she really sold it to you, didn't she? As you hear my story unfold, she had a huge influence on my life. I certainly believe that there are certain people in your life who change your life, who are brought into your life for reasons, and boy, she sure was one of them. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you go through beauty school, and then what happens? Do you go and work in salon? I worked in a salon. Mm -hmm. and I was out probably a year or so, and... Uh, backcombing came in. When oh, yeah. I started beauty school, they weren't even using rollers or, or backcombing or anything. It was all stand-up curls, side-directional curls, finger waves, all of that in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. Where, where did you study and where were you working? You know where Nigel's Beauty Supply is now? That was the beauty school. Oh, okay, cool. So you uh, did your training in North Hollywood. 
in North Hollywood. Awesome. Okay. So I decided to go back and take a brush up course on that. So I went back to school. And while I was there doing the class, finished the classes and stuff, Jean said to me, Mrs. Page said to me, I have a salon I want you to go and work in. But I'm already working this salon. I know, but you need to go and work in this salon. It's a really good salon, and I think you should go there and work. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. I went over, and it was in North Hollywood, so it wasn't very far. It was a salon actually in Magnolia Park, Burbank. I went in, talked to the gentleman. His name was Richard. And I did go to work there. And while I was there, one of my customers, uh, a a wonderful, wonderful human being named Barbara, became my lifelong best friend. And she happened to work at NBC. And her and her boyfriend wanted me to go into the studio. I said, you know, you're a really good hairdresser. You should go into the studios. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I don't think so. So for about two and a half, three years, they tried to talk me into going into the studios. And I kept saying, no, I'm not good enough. Oh, no, 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 no. So they gave my name to Harry Blake, who was department head, and he called me one day and asked me to come in and work. And it was on Hollywood Squares. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. It's so funny that they just kept, they didn't give up on you. They were just like, no, we're going to change your mind. And I worked there for five years, I think, afterwards. The first show I ran was the Dean Martin show. Oh, wow. And it was a time in Variety where Every every show I was doing, it was laughing. It was Flip Wilson. It was the uh, Andy Williams show. It was the Danny Thomas show, and all kinds of specials came in there. Mm-hmm. And so we got an opportunity to do every kind of a hairdo you can possibly imagine, yeah. and so many things that I had an opportunity to do that we don't have anymore. There, there are not these opportunities to learn and the people that were there. Yeah. So after that, I had worked over a little bit at ABC, and the department head over there asked me to come over and be department head. Then I went over there, and I was department head hair that ran the hair department, which wasn't very much. And then ABC went on strike just about the time I got a call to come and do the Donnie and Marie show. So I wow. left ABC and went with Donnie and Marie when Marie turned 18. Wow. So, I mean, because I, I had never watched – Donnie and Marie. I do believe mum said that we got it in New Zealand, but I'm not entirely sure if we got repeats, but like that's an American, like that's American TV history right there, isn't it? Like people yeah. loved Donnie and Marie. So that's yes. really exciting. Yeah. And I still work with her. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's so great to have such a relationship. That's wonderful. That she is lovely. Yeah, I can imagine. So what was it like working on something that you knew so many Americans were watching and loved? I, I don't know that I was even aware of that at that time. Yeah. I was still new out on my own, not kind of protected from a studio. So it was a challenge. There were a lot of, lots of hair changes, constant hair changes mm-hmm. and shooting schedules and everything. So I think I was pretty absorbed just in the show at that time. Yeah. But looking back on it, it's amazing. Oh my goodness. So was it film, like was it live? No, it was shot actually in two days. It was shot with a live audience and then we would do the sketches and stuff on another day. Okay. So most everything you did in that in those days, the Dean Martin show was shot live. I don't know if it can't remember if it was live or not, but it was always really fast and quick changes. And mm. I know I used to have to set Marie's hair in something for a, a sketch that was, or get her prepared for, 
for a sketch that wasn't going to shoot for a couple of hours because she had to go in this and then come out of that and go into this and go into that and come back. So it was always a challenge to figure out how to make that all work. Yeah, I guess the best but, way to tackle it, right? But it was great experience. It's gr- yeah. it was just great experience. Absolutely. So during that time, I also got very involved with a costume designer named Rhett Turner. He was department head at NBC when I was there. And it was just as, and Bill Hargate also, who was another wonderful, wonderful costume designer. And they were all just breaking out and going, doing independent shows. They weren't four-walling it anymore. They were going and shooting them all over the place. And that led me into just doing just about every variety special in town to the point that I kept like two or three girls working for me, either closing a show up or going to production meetings for me. It was a crazy time, but again, an amazing opportunity to learn, to really have to think on your feet and make it happen. Yeah. So explain to me what a variety show is. A variety show in that day and time was usually a, a star. For example, I did a bunch of Dorothy Hamill specials. They were ice skating specials. They're really specials. They're kind of, you know, that kind of a thing. They did stuff that did all the openings for Epcot and for for Disneyland in Florida. We go down and we shoot stuff. It wasn't open yet, but they do these kind of teasers about what was coming. So Uh I just got into this whole group of people that I worked with the same same cameramen, the same sound guys, the same wardrobe people. We just seemed to travel like a circus and just kind of do everything that was happening at that time. It wow. was a great it was a great time. So were you able to take other hairstylists with you or did you need to hire locally while you were doing that? Usually if I usually always took one my second with me and then picked up people as we needed them. And sometimes with like the Disney stuff, there would only be, unless they had dancers or something, it would only be the host who or the host were. So it didn't require, you know, a whole crew to go. And other times it was a really big deal. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So then where do you go after doing all of that work? Do you settle down a little bit more into LA or do you continue doing jobs that take you to different locations? No, there, it was really interesting. There was a, the musicians struck about, about, I can't remember the year, but there was, they went on strike. And when mm-hmm. they came back, I remember I was working on a Goldie Hawn special over at NBC and they settled, but the contract was so crazy I remember the production manager saying to me, Variety is dead. We won't be doing anymore because we can't afford to do it anymore. Oh. And it did. Wow. And it changed a lot into sitcoms. Okay. So I did sitcoms, but I didn't like them. It was like working in a salon, same people every week. And Mm -hmm. I really liked the challenge of something new, something to really have to work at to make right. Yeah. So I did that for a while. I think I did one or two series, you know, long series, but that wasn't for me either. And it just so happened that a friend of mine, Barbara Lorenz, called me and said, I'm starting a movie, but I'm not going to be able to stay with it. Would you come in and take it over for me? Mm-hmm. I said, okay, because I didn't have any movies at that time. I hadn't done any. I'd done it a few day checking a little bit, but not much. Yeah. And it was Leslie Nielsen's show. It was just a movie, Police Squad. And I stayed with him then for about seven or eight, nine years. And just along the way, picked up other 
stars who are now working in film and went into film. That's awesome. So doing more personal work as well as running the department? Yeah. It became, you know, it it became producers or production managers and things who liked my work and called me for whatever they were doing by that time. So I did both. A lot of times I ran the show with the department head and did do this first star. So what do you think are the pros and cons of being a personal, like doing personal work versus department heading? Yeah, there are definitely pros and cons. I like... I like being a department head mm-hmm. because I really have more input and more creativity in how what happens with the film and how it goes and how I want to make it happen. But there certainly is perks with being with a star because you don't have to work so hard. So I think if you're young and still really want to do your, the creative things, I think a department head is great. I really do. You learn so much more. I don't think you learn anything from being a, a personal right. on the on the big scope. But yeah. I think after you've reached a certain point, it's kind of nice now that you've proven you can do it, that mm-hmm. you can now kind of sit back and let the younger ones do the, the hard work. I get you. Yeah. And I think too, unless you're being a personal for someone who does a lot of extreme kind of character work, I guess you don't get the, vari- the same variety of work, do you? No. So coming up through all of this, through the salon work, starting doing TV, variety shows, was there a piece of advice that you were given that has really stuck with you? I don't know that it was given to me, but what I learned really on, which has always stuck with me, is because Mm -hmm. I would, in the beginning when I was doing a film, I would read the script and I would break it down and I would be, okay, well, this character should look like this and then we should do this and then we should do that. And I would go in. They didn't really want any information to me whatsoever. They had ideas already. And at first, I I was like, but, but, but. And then I finally learned, I'm a pair of hands. My real job is to take a producer, a director, and a star, mm-hmm. really hear what they are saying, mm-hmm. and bring them together on screen. Absolutely. Yeah, when you're at the beginning and you're extremely excited about everything and going, ooh, I get to design things and then you yeah quickly work out that hang on a minute (laughs) you're just you're helping somebody else's vision like come to fruition so where do you want to go I could do it whatever you want to do just point me in a direction (laughs) yeah and I think that also helps just while you're shooting when something is out of your hands and you just go I've done what the best I can do that's it Yeah, and you just exactly. take a much calmer approach to it, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of times I was like, that's not what I would have done, but I guess it's okay. And I would, I still think what I would have done would have been better, but that's not what they're paying me for. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of learn to let it go. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a, yeah, there's a talent in that. There's a skill that you learn to just be able to. If, if I was going to advise <laughs> any young person coming into the business, it would be mm-hmm. the sooner you realize that. Yeah. the easier life is going to be. Absolutely. And it's not that you don't care. It's just oh, no. you do the best that you can do, but just understand that you're one part of a very big machine. And I think in another way, it is just as creative because now you've got these three people and let's see, how can I make this work? What can I do mm. here? It will mm. really be wonderful and they will get this. I can bring them together. So it yeah. comes a whole different channeling or direction that you go 
but it's not any less creative or, or, or exciting and challenging. Yeah, it's true. Cause they can, they can bring something to you and you can be like, Oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? Yep, exactly. That is a challenge within itself. Wow. Okay. I've got to to work this out. Exactly. (laughs) So much troubleshooting, isn't there? So you've worked with, so personal work, I see like Naomi Watts, Ray Liotta, so Leslie Nelson that you mentioned, and Lindsay Wagner, I have to just tell you a little bit of a story behind the bionic woman for me, is that I was named after the bionic woman. Oh. Yeah, Jamie. <laughs> Jamie Summers. And it's yeah. spelled, yeah, it's spelled yeah. J-A-I-M-E. And I was always, I grow up, why is my name spelt different? No one spells my name right. And mum was like, well, it's how the bionic woman sp- spelt her name. It's Jamie Summers. Oh, you mean? That's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> so there's a little bit of weird information from my life. So that's awesome that you worked yeah. with Lindsay Wagner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's lovely. Oh, that's good to know. And a few times with Benicio Del Toro as well. So, I mean, he's a pretty amazing actor, isn't he? He is the highlight of my life as far as actors going. He is the nicest, most gentle man that you could possibly meet. He's so, he's from Puerto Rico. He, you know, he's very polite. He's very well read. He's really smart. And he's just the sweetest man to work for and so talented I mean you watch him work and he's just amazing yeah that's awesome that that makes it um, all the more enjoyable doesn't it yeah now I wanted to talk to you about talking of creating and challenges the hairstyle situation for how the Grinch stole Christmas because those are some hairstyles right oh yes fun all those years of variety prepared me for this show. I knew the day I talked to Rick Baker asked me to come onto the show because they were having a lot of problems with hair. The Grinch is, you know, such a, a, a treasured book that Mrs. Bach was really concerned that it, w- it would do justice to what Mr. Spock had wanted. Mm-hmm. And so that Rick had tried a lot of different things and his wife, Sylvia Baker, was my second on Donnie and Marie. Oh, cool. Isn't that crazy timing and the way people come into your life? Yeah. And so she said, you know, you're having trouble with hair. You ought to call Gail. You ought to call Gail because that's what she does. And so he did. And I went in and talked to him about it and I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. That's very cool. I already knew. I knew what I was going to do right from the start. It was one of the easiest. And throw out all of that about having anybody else, the producers and directors, I was really on my own. I have to say that Ron Howard was great. He looked the first like test and things, and I would do a bunch of wigs for him. We'd have a meeting every so weeks, and I don't think there was one wig that he turned down. So he was great. It was really really great. Yeah, I think that's nice too when when the director figures out that, oh, okay, they know what they're doing. I'm just going to let them go for it and then, yeah, see what happens. And there's that trust element there, which is fantastic, and you can just go and create. So was most of the work on that wigs? Most of the work was wigs, yeah. Yeah. Way, way back at NBC, when I was at NBC, I did a Saturday special show with the Harlem Globetrotters. And one of the sketches that they wanted to do was to put 
the Harlem Globe, the Harlem Globetrotters and Marie Antoinette wigs, basically the big wigs because they're so tall already. And <laughs> so I sat down in the the basement of NBC, the hair department, all by myself, trying to build a Marie Antoinette wig. And mm-hmm. I tried styrofoam. I tried I tried everything to get the heights that they wanted. And finally went into the costume designers and said to them, do you guys have anything that's kind of stiff that I can build with to get this this wig that I need this height? Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, I think we have something over here. And there's a product called Buckram. Mm-hmm. They used it in building hats. And it changed my life. It's what I use to build most of the hair wigs on uh, the Grinch. Yeah. It's a great base to use to, you know, to build on. It's like a it's like a fabric of sorts, isn't it? Like it's a woven It's more like a a netting, but it's mm. really really heavy. Yeah. It's and there it comes in different grades, so you can get it really really stiff where it almost looks like linen that's been starched to death yeah. to where there the holes are larger and it's not quite as stiff. So it comes in different grades as I said and different colors as well yeah yeah it comes in it comes I think three colors white black and a brown okay that's very cool so that was the base of for all the creations that's amazing that's awesome yeah so how did you because everybody kind of gets their wig training in different ways how how did you learn to work with wigs on all those variety shows yeah we would do every week Let's say just the Dean Martin show. the the finale of the, the the finale, the last number would be one year. It would be twenties. The next years it would be forties. The next year it would be fantasy. The next year it would be Marie Antoinette. I mean, whatever their things came up with, and you'd have to do maybe ten or fifteen wigs would work okay. sometimes. So I came in kind of in a strange way because I didn't work with any lace wigs. Everything was synthetic that I had because of being variety. Mm. But what it did is it taught me how to, to do things with, with synthetics to make them look more like real hair. And I just was one of those people who was determined that it wasn't going to be halfway. I wanted to do it the best I could. And I can't tell you how many times I would do a wig and do another wig and probably cut it wrong and have to go out and buy another one and redo it until I finally found a technique that worked. Yeah, that's amazing. I think there is an incredible talent in making a synthetic wig look look great. It's, it's hard work. So that was just trial and error for you? Like, did you have anybody it guiding was. you at that point? or? Well, not really. There were, along the careers, there were different different people who... During that time, if you remember, we had to do a test to get into the union. So there were there was a lady at NBC who was an old, old-time hairdresser, and mm-hmm. she really taught me lace work. She taught me all about lace work and, and everything. I didn't have an opportunity to use it, but I never forgot what she said. So that, and then again, just picking up work with somebody, and they'd say something, I'd be, oh, okay, let me try that, and just, again... Just very fortunate with the people that I worked with. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's, I would get bored very quickly if I wasn't working with others. I think if it were, if I was a one hair show, I'd be, um, it'd be kind of creatively stifling, wouldn't it? So nice to work with different people. Now, I see that you did I Heart Huckabees. Now, yeah. how much fun was that to be involved with? Because the cast is wonderful. 
and Dustin Hoffman's hairstyle is amazing it makes me laugh every time I see him I'm just like this is outrageous so how did that film come about for you Naomi Watts okay she asked me to come in on it on it and do it for her oh that's awesome and I did do Dustin yeah so was he wearing a wig no I think it was his hair it was his hair goodness that's even better Oh, I love it. So I wanted to check in with you and ask, what has been one of the more challenging projects you think you've done? That's interesting. They're, they all have their own challenges, every mm. single film just about that you do. Mm. Uh, I think, because I've been doing it for so long now, maybe back in the beginning there were challenges. That, oh, I guess, you know, I did a film with Naomi Watson Benicio. God, I can't think of the name of it now. Oh. So 21 grams? 20, 21 grams. 21 grams. And we shot it backwards. Oh, wow. It, it, didn't have any, it didn't have any continuity. We'd shoot one scene one day, another scene another day, and you never knew where they were going to go. You couldn't, you couldn't. It was crazy. So you had to figure out a way to put your, your, your notes together and your pictures together to try and keep track of where you were and what you were doing. So that certainly was a challenge probably the hardest challenge in that respect that I've ever done. So, and then I think one of the things Benicio loves to, loves to do with those movies that are challenging and I adore him, but we worked out in some of the most difficult terrain and in a rainforest in Puerto Rico where mm. it, it, the ground was like moose, the whole ground. And you had to try and find patches of, of weeds to walk on or so many people broke a wrist or broken arm on there just from sliding from the mud. Wow. So physically that was, was difficult, you know, so they all have their challenges. Absolutely. I mean, you're not only trying to get yourself from A to B and not kill yourself, but then look after somebody's hair at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, you've worked on in a few locations. What would have to be one of your favorites? My favorite films? Oh, favorite locations. Oh, locations. My favorite yeah. locations. Oh, Wolfman. I was in London for three months, and he was a Wolfman. And so I only had to work when he was the other character. Nice. And I just had a wonderful time. It oh, was brilliant. Just, and it was right down in, in Covent Gardens. It was where the hotel was. And I it just really got to see England. So it was such a gift. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't spent enough time in London, but need to get back there sometime. So when you've been in the past hiring hiring teams to work for you or with you, what are you looking for in team members? Oh, fortunately, I try to always work with the same people just because I know them. I have a relationship with them. They understand me. Mm-hmm. And so that's so much of my career has been with people that I know. Yeah. And have relationships with. And I think other than that, just somebody who is has enthusiasm, who listens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess when you, you hire somebody, they come in, you know, within a few hours whether they're going to work out or not, whether they were, you know, or what you're looking for. And sometimes yeah. it depends on the work that you need. It's not always about personality. It's about can they do what I need for this film? Yeah. Absolutely. And what, what do you, I mean, you've done so many live shows as well. 
with like Golden Globe awards shows like Grease Live, The Little Mermaid Live? What aspects do you enjoy about doing live performance work? Oh my God, it is, you know, and I do Dancing with the Stars, which is live, you know. So I just, it's what I was raised in. That's Mm -hmm. where I came from. And it's just, you got to be on your game. You know, you can't make a mistake if it's live. And it's, it's the, it's the camaraderie with the other hairdressers and makeup people who we have quick change and you have to figure out how to make it work and really be a team and do it. And once you've done it, it's such a high that I love it. It's still my very first and favorite. Yeah, that's awesome. I personally haven't really done any live performance stuff, so I'm so intrigued by it. I think it, it's amazing. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. And especially when you do something like Grease Live or The Little Mermaid Live, like it's an entire movie live. Like there's so many puzzle pieces that have to be put together. It just blows my mind. It's amazing. When we did Grease, we actually did it on three different stages at Warner Brothers. And we really had to run from stage to stage to get there in front of the kids coming in with hair yeah. we had to make hair changes or makeup changes and it, it's very challenging but it's so much fun yeah absolutely you get it right yeah so I'm assuming with something like that you get some rehearsal time to kind oh, of yeah. work all that out yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely yeah we with the Little Mermaid I think we had a week of of not only us not only our department but the entire crew has to get it together you know Kind of so, do it from start to finish. Yeah, to, you have to keep doing it to your timing. gets better and better and better for everybody. Yeah. So when you work on something like the Golden Globe Awards show, is that for the – what are you doing for part of that? Is that for uh, the hosts or is it for the shows that happen in between? And Again, it all depends. If you're doing – for instance, I do the American Music Awards. So yeah, yeah. there are a lot of dancers that come in with groups. And so we'll do all of the dancers uh, that there are. We usually don't have anything to do with the hosts because they have their own people. But we certainly do anybody who needs hair. And, you know, if it's rained that year, we're really big on hair dryers for everybody, you know. So we're just kind of there to do what we can do to, you know, whatever anybody needs. Now on the Golden Globes, it's not near as hectic because some years if – if the host is, I think, not last year, but the two years before that, there was a, a woman from India who hosted it. Mm-hmm. And we did some publicity with her, and she didn't have a hairdresser. So I came in and did her and worked on it probably three or four days because of press and stuff that she was doing, and then did her that night and stayed with her. And other than that, we just we stayed close to the, the green room. Mm-hmm. And people come in, they need touch up either a little bit of lipstick or a little bit of you know perspiration or a little bit of hairspray or a quick brush. So mm-hmm. it's a simple show, but it's really fun too. Yeah, but there's a little bit of variety there too, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the Looney Tunes film that you did because I find that quite fascinating. <laughs> just just watching, I guess, being at the monitor or just watching your cast kind of interact with, well, something that isn't there like how was that to work on it was good it was good it was fun it was uh, a lot of that's just done on green screen you know so those are kind of easy because it's not the the action so much you know that she got that they did yeah yeah yeah. it's just like I mean you see the end product and it's so much fun but so much fun at the time of kind of filming it it's like how does that how does that work it must get a little exhausting for the cast sometimes to um 
not actually have a physical thing to be interacting with. Yeah, I know. I, I only know this as a story. I know Naomi went on to do King Kong, and uh, the whole entire King Kong was digitally done. So she worked, never worked with an ape at all. And I just, she's an amazing actress to begin with. She's just wonderful. But yeah, that that had to be quite a really hard. Yeah, absolutely. So what what do you feel has changed since you started in the industry? Like what are some of the bigger changes that you've noticed? Technology. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, when I came into the business, there were hairdressers who were around my age now who were just getting out of the business. And I heard so many people, I hate the business, it's changed. I can't hardly wait to get out and yada, yada, yada. And I thought, God, I hope I'm not that way when I get old. And I'm not. I still love our business. It's changed. I think the only thing, if I had a magic wand that I would change, is the teaching that young kids get coming in. I think it's a shame that they don't get the opportunity to really learn like we had to, because it really limits them in what they can do. And we are now starting some mentor programs to help teach. And I try to teach as much as I can because I came in at a a wonderful time where I had a lot of influence from hairdressers who it's a lot of their work is lost art now. And I want to leave as much behind as I possibly can because I love the business so much. I want to see others coming in to be able to, to have the range that you can do when you have the knowledge to do it. Absolutely. I think it's such a wonderful way to look at it. It's it's so odd to me when people hold on to their, their wisdom and knowledge and don't share it. So that's amazing. I think so. I, I don't quite know why that changed here so much because I know that over in England and some other places, you still have the trainee and junior programs and, you know, you work your way up through the ranks like that and are working under people who are uh, mentoring you and teaching you. And it's, it's a shame that that doesn't happen so much over here. I found lawsuits. Really? That's so boring. Yeah. People, <laughs> people, people sued them saying that it was not fair and they had to drop everything. Oh my goodness. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh, that's, so sad. Huh? that's so sad. Yeah, it really is. It breaks my heart. Because that's uh, the one thing I am so grateful and has given me the career that I have mm-hmm. is all those days of working and, you know, having the, 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 the time and the place to experiment and to do and have to do. I mean, I always say my fa- one of my favorite experiences is fear is the best teacher in the world. I haven't heard that, but it makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Think about it for a minute. It really makes sense. It does. Oh, my goodness. So did you, you saw that kind of, that you saw that change come about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I guess, yeah, as you say, you feel lucky that you were in before it. Yeah, I mean, now you, when you're talking about hiring someone, Mm. you know, if you're doing a period show, it's really hard to find people as a second or so there's getting fewer and fewer of them, although in some ways it's actually getting better. But there was a period of time when it was really hard because all the kids came in, they were, they came in in 30 days. Mm. They didn't come in on period shows and they were lost. It's not that they didn't have the ability, but it wasn't fair to them not to give them some training, send them out. And, and you know, you couldn't use them because you need somebody who could do the work. Yeah. So it, it was it was a shame. It always bothered me. Yeah. So how how did it work when you were coming up? Like how how was it structured for you 
to be able to learn? Well, they did. They did have apprenticeship programs. All the studios did have apprenticeship programs when they had wow. department heads. Now, none of the studios have department heads or departments anymore. Okay. So it was and more so, of a studio-run situation. Right, okay. Right. Wow. So okay. most of the people who came in film started in a studio somewhere. Now, me for me, because I wasn't in a studio, mine was just, I got lucky to be, I didn't get caught on soap operas. I didn't get caught on sitcoms. I stayed in variety, and it just constantly was teaching me something. It's amazing. And then after you got so many days in, you had to take a test, and the test was given by these older hairdressers who really mm-hmm. knew their stuff and really held you to the line. And there were classes for it and everything, but everybody I think I ever talked to always felt that they they were the best that they could possibly be when they took that test. Right. And that test was through the union or is that? Yes, it was through yeah. the union. Okay. It was actually a two-day test, mm-hmm. one written and one practical, and it was tough. It was a tough test, but they taught you everything. I mean, they tested you on everything. So you had to know it. It sounds more thorough than the cosmetology license test these days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, that from, from every single pin that you would use to finger waves and, and how you did them and where the curl sat and to what would, what would you do if you were out on location and you had to get a wig and you didn't have, you didn't have a block. What would you use? Wow. You'd use a rock. Yeah. So it's you not only yeah, it's not only like I mean, the the actual technical, it's like troubleshooting as well. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it was it was great. Wow. I mean, I feel lucky that when I did my we don't call it a license in New Zealand, but it was a getting my hairdressing certificate, the test was like it was like a it was set up to be like a full day in the salon. So uh-huh. I had to set up, you know, X amount of models for the day to do everything from, I think it was like three different type of blow dries, two different types of haircuts, perm, roller set, hair up, multicolored, all sorts of things through to finger waves. And they would listen to the consultation. And then of course the end result had to be what you and your client had discussed. And I think it was, it was just so good that it was so thorough because it really weeded out those who were not ready. And it's, it's great. I, I hope it's still like that, actually. But And then I when I came to do the license in California, I was just like, I don't even do this on a person. It's just on a mannequin here. Like, oh, no. <laughs> just like, All right, I can do it. The work there is so beautiful. I mean, you guys are still you know, the crown jewel of, of hair and makeup. Wow, that's awesome. That, I just find that all so... Oh. That's so sad. I wish they had apprenticeship programs within the within the union. I feel like yeah. they might be trying to move towards some type of mentoring. Yeah, we are. I'm on, a, I'm on a committee now. So oh, that's we are, we are doing. I'm doing some ment- mentoring right now, and then we're going to expand it, I think. So oh, we are giving back. That's exciting. I love yeah. it. Love it. Now, when you are getting ready for a job or you're in a, in a job and you need to do research, what are some of your favorite sources for like research and um, inspiration? Well, the book that I've had with me for how many years that I use on everything for is a book called The First 5,000 Years in Hair. And it's a Richard Corson, C-O-R-S-O-N book. It's out of print, mm-hmm. but it goes all the way from Egypt all the way up to like the 1970s, I think. 
and both men and women and the, the instruments that they use, the hair thing they use. I mean, everything is in that book. Yeah. So it, it's good for so many things. It's just good if you want sort of a little bit of a, a different look, you want to do something, you can go through there and it gives you ideas. I love that. And then I used a lot of the reference libraries at the studios at the time. Oh, wow. Those are all gone now. Oh. So that was kind of my two sources. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I, I know that book well, actually, because I even remember going to the library to like photocopy pages and stuff out of it for <laughs> bits and pieces back in, back in the day. So yeah, that, that is an amazing book to have. And what have you worked on recently that we can look out for? Well, Dancing with the Stars will come back in the fall. I'm not sure be, that I'll be with it this year because of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I've been asked to go back, so I hope, hopefully I will. And I haven't done anything in the last four months, so it just <laughs> I did all my award shows through the awards season, and now it's kind of quiet time. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, I wanted to ask you, if you have your, if you had your kit set up and you've got everything that you need and I was to take away one tool or product from you, what would you not want to be without? My brush. Your brush? What kind mm-hmm. of brush? It's an Altis brush. It's, mm-hmm. I've carried it in my case for 40 years. Yeah. I've never used any other brush. It is the best brush. You can't get them in America anymore. They're French brushes. You okay. can get them online. But they're, it's Altis, and they you want the smaller size. But it gives you such control on your hair. The way it moves through the hair, it really is so much better. So many brushes, feels like you just go over it. You don't really go through it. Especially yeah. if you're doing period work, you, you want to brush a wave mm-hmm. in or something. It's yeah. just an amazing brush or back comb with it or back brush with it. It's just the best. I couldn't do anything without it. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. Have you have you used a brand new one recently? Like have they changed? Do you think they've changed how they make them? No, they changed the shape a bit, yeah. but not the quality. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. I always wonder about things like that, whether they yeah. just kind of get worse over time. But that's awesome. No, this is, if you ever want a good brush, I highly recommend it. That's brilliant. I hadn't see hadn't even heard of them. That's how terrible that is. So and they're small. You want the pocket size. You don't want the big one because I like yeah. the small size. One. Yeah, you can kind of get it in your hand and really yeah. move with it. That's yeah, awesome. I just want to tell you, I was in New Zealand one time. Oh, you were? I came into what is the capital? The, the capital is Wellington. No, but I, I think we uh, Auckland. Auckland, Auckland. Yeah, I loved your country. It was absolutely beautiful. I actually did a Ronald McDonald commercials there. I was, a, awesome. I was Ronald's hairdresser for the for the the main guy. The I was with him for forty five years. <gasps> wow! I did all the commercials and everything. I did all the color, all the wigs and everything. So that's oh. kind of one of my my proud things that I did. You took care of Ronald McDonald. I did. That's amazing. <laughs> And what a color that that wig is! My goodness, you, you betcha. We we when I came under the when they asked me to come and do the commercials, hmm. the wigs had been sort of passed around. I know nobody cared about the wigs and didn't take very care, good care of them. And so when I got them, they wanted the red to match the red in his face and his makeup. So I did. I got them that color, and from then on. The, it, the, the color was mine, but they kept 
trying to, to reproduce it so they didn't, you know, and, and I never did, never did give them the formula. And we were sort of like a, a, a family, dysfunctional family. They would get mad at me and I would say, okay, then, and then they'd come back and they'd offer me more money and I'd go back. That's brilliant. I like that you had that control over McDonald's. That's amazing. Yeah, that's <laughs> Story. It's awesome because yeah, what a what a color that is. I was gonna yeah. say yeah to match. You wouldn't want them changing the makeup color anytime soon because then no, they never did. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So I wanted to ask you, who would you like to hear on the podcast? You know who I think would be an interesting guest for you might be Rick Baker. Yeah, I think so. You too. know, he has more Oscars than anybody. I think yeah, he has like eight Oscars or something, and he started. As a kid, mm. and his idol was Dick Smith. Yeah. And he learned under him. And I just think he he came into our business kind of at a pivotal time for special effects. And I just think he's brilliant. Yeah. What was it like working with him? He's great. Yeah, he's great. That's good to hear. That's so yeah. awesome. Well, Gail, thank you so much for joining me today. I have loved hearing your story. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you. To see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.